0: All right, let's do this. Let's begin.
1: Welcome to RC Helly Nation version 3. This is episode 21, and I'm Nick hosting this week. Uh, Dan? 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 No, no. Dan is uh, dutifully taking care of his wife Elaine after a recent surgery. So Elaine's one of our few listeners. We want to give her a special shout out this week. Wish her a speedy recovery. We also want to take this minute to volunteer Dan to tidy up the hobby space for you this week. The entire downstairs, in fact, he's promised to clean up his workbench and, you know, probably by the time this episode airs. Yeah.
0: Hey, Scott, what's going on? Uh Oh, hey, you're not here either. Shit. Devin, where
1: the hell is Scott? Oh, uh, hello. Oh. You know what Devin said to me this week? What? He said he's out of town for work this week, so he has to miss. But so I'd like to take this opportunity to point out that I've probably recorded half of our 20 episodes from a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> hey, touche. <laughs> this is true, right? Uh, yes, love you, David. Yes. Uh, hopefully he's back with us next week. I know he's got some exciting stuff to share that we'll talk a little bit about. Steal some of his thunder. Yeah. Um, and uh, Scott sadly got called into work this evening. So it's the Rob and Nick show. Rob, what's going on? You're here with me. Not much, Nick. What's in? Oh, you know, same and same old. Yes. Floating okay.
0: this boat to the next episode. You bet, buddy. Right on, man. Somebody's got to be here. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh. So what have you been up to um, since
1: we last, uh, last spoke? Well, not a lot. In fact, I was hoping you know, the gang would all be here to kind of fill this time. I don't have a lot. Yeah. I was in uh, Orlando for work. I was okay. out of town for most of the week, not all of it. Uh, but when I got back from Orlando, there was a lovely box here from Makata USA. Ooh. So all my logo parts showed up, uh, so I was happy to see those. So the logo, I'm waiting on one package of blades tomorrow that should show up, and then yeah. it's ready to read Maiden. So it That's wasn't right. that bad. It was really just the boom and, and all the tail push rod, torque tube, uh, tail and that blade that was drips. auto
0: practice, wasn't it? Or what was that that yeah, happened? Yeah,
1: that was my spool up mishap. Yeah. So That's right, autoed, on the hill. was on really unstable ground, and it just tipped over as it was spooling up, so.
0: Boo. Hey, at least you can put that back together now. So that's
1: pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get that back in the air. And then maybe I'll save the auto practice for something easier to repair. Something with a tail belt. (laughs) There you go. Oh, Because the torque tube wasn't bad, but it it was a thing. But that's rated a maiden, so I'm excited about that. Dude, that's proper. Nice. Uh, I did kind of fly a little bit. I flew the Goose Guy S2 at Atlanta RC, which is still barricaded with Uh. a giant pile of stuff. Did you so have to bring your black
0: jacket with you and shit? No. <laughs> okay.
1: No. So I, okay. I, I went, they haven't been violent towards any of the club members. They just build these barricades, which is really awful. So I took my son there. He drove yeah. his RCE uh, car around, and I just brought the Goose Guy S2 just to knock out some flights. Uh-huh. Yeah, fun. So uh, at least I don't get a no-fly. I don't know. Goose Guy S2, it's not really. I mean, it, it is a micro-heli, but it's... It I think qualifies, it man qualifies? Alright, cool. Yeah, it qualifies. You can hover it upside
0: down. You can do 3D. It does all the things the big ones do just faster, you know. so It counts. Yeah, so it's cool to see you're at least able to fly and you're able to at least kind of um, try to take a little ownership of your park a little bit there. I saw, um, besides us here on our podcast talking about it, I see that Y'all's Club is getting other attention as well. I saw an article on Facebook uh, that specifically talked about the the guy, the, the field, the, the hobby guys yeah. at the field lose in the field of this stupid thing so it's cool yeah, you to at least it, go back
1: out there. Huh? It's unfortunate with our dues renewal which happens in January we've got maybe 20 out of 100 members renewing so far so uh, we've taken a big hit from this so I really hope we don't lose the club over this. You know, I hope that a good resolution happens. Yeah me too man for sure.
0: I'm never even going to use it unless I come out there but still I'd hate to see one go this way.
1: It's just, I mean, I have a huge field I can go fly out that's 40 minutes away, but this place is 10 minutes from my house. This is my, like, lunch flight spot, so yeah, I really I wanted that. to come back. But anyway, I parked out on the street, and we walked around the barricade. We're like, we are flying regardless. I don't care what you say. Anyway, <laughs> I got some more bad news. Oh, no. What's this? Well, I'm already failing at my resolutions. Oh, no. Nah. I specifically said... My goal was to sim during business travel, and I just did my first week of business travel, and I have not simmed.
0: No simming. Oh,
1: you uh, have a you brought it. You got
0: to have at least one computer that has a sim on it, right? Oh, I do. I had yeah. it with me with a transmitter. Oh, slapping just, the it just hand. Didn't happen. Well, you got to do that next time.
1: Shit. That's it for me, man. What what uh, was your week like?
0: Uh a lot of the same game, I suppose. Um, I do have a uh, kind of a development type. Epiphany that I had. You know, I've been doing, again, doing a lot of sim time and stuff like that. Um, and I know um, we're going to have Brian Burnsong on the show here. We'll do an interview with him. Uh, and I know in preparation for that, I've been uh, uh, doing uh, uh, trying to deliberately sim that way, kind of in an F3C style and not pretend like I'm Tariq Alsadi, right, on the computer. Uh, and it's been helping. Um, And I took a couple of my helis out because it's starting to finally get warm enough out here. Um, I, you know, I decided to overcome the grumpiness of going out in the cold and it was like 28 the other day or something. So I took the T-Rex 600 and the T-Rex 500 out and just flew some big air flights and some light 3D on those. um, uh, That's like a heat wave. I know for me, it's like a heat wave. Right. <laughs> um, but I made sure to stay in my bank one where my rates are a little bit slower. And I tell you what I had a, I had a great time. You know, I've been like, I think with a lot of hobbies, sometimes if you take a break from it or you mix it up a little bit, when you come back to it, it's a little bit, uh, you get this a little refreshed. And as far as like analog flying with the big helis outside, it's been like probably three weeks now, two or three weeks that I've been able to do it. And doing some of this more deliberate um, control of the gimbals and uh, trying to do better collective management and stuff really paid off. And I had a blast flying those helis out there. And you know, guys, everybody knows I am a kind of a rogue flyer. So there's this particular cul-de-sac I go down to and none of it's plowed. Ex- well, the roads plowed up to the cul-de-sac and then uh, I can't drive all the way into where I used to drive. So I got to fly over the snow and um, it's not a big deal. You know how it is. It's whatever it's snow. So if you crash, you crash. But, um, really quickly I threw them up in the air and just got super comfortable and, um, had a blast, you know, spent about an hour out there, hour and a half or so just flying those birds. And, um, yeah, it was the only day I got to take the big ones out. But, um, other than that, probably, probably six, eight hours worth of simming you know, over the week and didn't get to order anything, uh, new or anything like that. I'm in a spending some cash helping my, my son's, uh, get my son's car on insurance and stuff like that, helping him out with that. So, but, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, so that's, that's my story for the week and I'm sticking right on, to man. it.
1: That's awesome. 90 minutes of outdoor flying. That's big in your neck of the woods this time. Dude. Yeah, it totally is, man. And you know, whatever,
0: you know, I take a couple of flights and then sit in the car and warm up and then go back out. And I just felt like I had, I had to do it. I've been itching and I've been itching and bitching, Nick. You know how it is. <laughs> it's Dude. this weird schizophrenic thing you get over the wintertime. And um, the forecast for the next couple of weeks looks like it's going to be pretty good. So I feel like I can start taking some of these batteries out of
1: storage, charge, and cycling them through. So I nice.
0: can't hit it hard yet, but we're getting close.
1: It's funny. You talk about flying in bank one in the cold. I feel like flying in the cold is this balance between like your fingers feel a little stiff. You're not quite as nimble. So you don't want the high head speed. Yeah. But then yep. there's this party that's like, oh, my God, it's cold. I really want the high head speed to kill this battery faster, faster, faster. <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> I only just want to, to be fly out of for four minutes, and I want to be done. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but then you get in the high head speed, and you're like, holy cow, this is a little more agile for my rusty winter fingers. Yeah, that's kind of how I could tell
0: when it was time to take a seat, because I would want to do a particular... There's this one thing that I do, and I don't know what the name of it is, but it's I'll, I'll come flying across the field, and about... About when I get about halfway through, right when it's roughly in front of me, I'll uh, I'll pitch the nose up and as soon as I pitch the nose up, I'll give it negative collective so the heli still flies forward but is vertical but I'm pulling it forward, right, with collective. Mm-hmm. And while I'm doing that, I'm swiping, I don't know how to explain it, I'm like swiping the tail up like a J, yep. almost like a third of a pyro flip mm-hmm. and then I'll get it upside down and forward and then I'll just come and I'll do the same thing halfway and go th- I'll kind of leave it backwards it it's i feel like maybe it's a half pyro flip roll i don't know what you want to call it but mm-hmm. um uh i can tell when i try to do that maneuver when i try to swipe when i try to swipe the tail around under there and i can't get it all the way around because my fingers are getting stiff you know i'm like uh, okay i better just take a break warm up my tendons in my fingers here, (laughs) or or go up higher because i am not going to get this maneuver all the way um but that's kind of my radar is
1: doing things like that it's funny to hear you talk about using negative pitch to move forwards uh because our guest who's coming on a little later uh brian was the first person that explained to me you know i was doing these tumbles and he was like explain to me the concept that if you how do i explain this i gotta get this right so if you're going forwards and you take the helicopter nose up, so the nose is pointing straight up at the sky, and you throw a bunch of negative pitch in, the helicopter just moves sideways in the same direction it was already traveling. Yeah. And use of negative pitch in that direction had never occurred to me. It was like one of those like mind blown moments. I was like, wait, yeah, what? But for it's sure. Cool. You can do these cool tumbles and then you know kick the tail up the other way, and make that J shape, and then change direction. It's a, it's a cool transition maneuver. Then it's totally. not hard. It's it just not. Never occurred to me. I know, right?
0: And you know, it's funny, like when the light bulb came on for me with that and how it had to do with the helicopter's vector and manipulating the thrust from the head to cause that vector, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean the direction the nose is pointing. Once I started to realize that I'm a really visual kind of guy, I visualize things all the time in my head. So I started to have these, I have this like pack of visualizations that I'll do in my head where it's like, I'll, I'll picture, you, you remember those old, you'll see like old infographics of maybe like a helicopter or a plane. It's just like a line drawing and you'll see mm-hmm. the arrow, a blue arrow on above the disc and a red yeah. arrow below the disc. And maybe yeah. it's a bigger when there's more or less force or longer, that kind of a thing. And in yeah. my head, I'll visualize this little heli turning and seeing the arrows getting larger the blue arrow getting larger and the red arrow getting shorter and vice versa as the heli's maneuvering. And in my mind, I'm going, well, that means I'm putting the sticks here and there. And and so it's like, while I'm flying, I'm visualizing that thrust coming off the helicopter as it's tumbling and trying to get the vector of the helicopter to be in that same consistent direction. And, you know, I'm, you know, uh, things that i'm trying to do it's like trying to i'm doing like fat sharpie style stuff you know guys like brian Burnsong or nick maxwell or um even in the 3d world to rick al and those guys they're using the fine tip you know fine precision calligraphy up in the air doing these kinds of things manipulating that vector but even just way down here as an amateur it's really neat for my brain to understand how that works it's It's secondary to flying. That's just regular physics, but it applies directly to flying, and it makes it easier to understand. And I'm just such a nerd, and I love, I love that part. Yeah,
1: I love that metaphor. I'm picturing myself as that giant, extra fat Sharpie, where the tip is like an inch, meant for like posters, (laughs) and it's (laughs) really slowly drawing across the sky. And that's my flight style, (laughs) dude. I'm the fat Sharpie.
0: That has that annoying piece of lint on it that leaves the extra streak right next to the fat streak. <laughs> sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. But uh, still, you can sort of see what's going
1: on. Oh, goodness. See what happens w- when you're gone, Dan? <laughs> Dang it. Rob and I start sniffing Sharpies and talking about our fly. <laughs> <laughs> so without the rest of the gang here, we don't have a ton of updates. But, you know, there's a lot of news. We could kind of just talk our way through that if you want hey welcome everybody to the news got a lot of news for you today
0: the newsly news morsels for your eardrum to
1: consume new we're gonna have some good music to go into that <laughs> i love it i picture you in like a smoking jacket the big high back chair there you go with the pipe news for the masses right on but yeah, man, we do have a lot of news this week. It seems like, you know, the hobby kicked into high gear. It's the new year, new releases, and new little bits and pieces are starting to come out. So let's just kind of chat our way through them. Yeah. Uh, so the first bit of news is from XL Power this week. They previewed a little short video on social media of this new optional upgrade part meant for the Spectre V2 as well as the Nick Maxwell edition. So the video is of a new top bearing block that also incorporates the main motor mount. So essentially, they're all one piece now. Um, mm. And I was curious as to what the benefits would be because I'm thinking about it, like, all right, you got the bearing block and you got the motor mount, and they used to bolt together, kind of into the frames. You know, what's the benefit of making them one unit? And I kind of came up empty. And so I reached out to Nick Maxwell, who very graciously sent me uh, a great answer. Because so I was like, well, Nick'll know; he's someone who can probably appreciate the differences. So I'm just going to read this verbatim since it's such a great explanation. Uh, So Nick Maxwell had to say that it ties the motor and the main shaft block together. So the pinion and main gear cannot flex in any way away from each other. So while the heli was already quite quiet, it makes it even more so while doing aggressive 3D. And subsequently, the main gear will last longer as the pinion and main gear can't misalign from flex. then he goes on to say that likely it's more power efficient too is a good mesh is less drag however i've never measured the difference so thanks nick for that for that explanation and it's interesting to think about that but the pinion is you know locked in to the main gear so there's no flex in that like it can't be at a slight angle against the main gear and so wear more on the top or bottom than others uh, no matter what you do to the thing
0: like a torquey flex or something because it's in the frame a little different Yeah, so is that then, so, because I haven't seen pictures of it, is that bird setup where the motor shaft has, you've got the mount where the motor goes, and then below the pinion there's another bearing block? Yes. Are they both on the shaft, or is it just the main one where the motor is? So the motor mount
1: used to be these two bearing blocks, so one that would go right up against the motor that the motor mounts to, Yeah. and then a a bearing block that the pinion would ride in that goes underneath the pinion. Right. And it was connected via this carbon X-brace, and... uh, And then that would then bolt into the frames, whereas now it's all this one continuous piece of aluminum that incorporates it together in this solid unit.
0: So it's like a front end transmission almost.
1: Yeah. And the cool thing is, is it just fits in between the frames, just like the other arrangement did. It's just a piece. Now, the interesting question is, is it really worth it to Joe Schmo or Joe, you know, average pilot? I don't know. I can't speak to that. Um, I don't think that I would notice the difference because I just don't fly hard enough but it's certainly cool that it's available for those that do
0: well if you're anything like dan if you don't get it you're just gonna wad it up and fall out of the sky so
1: it's a must buy now right you know how that is and it's from excel power so we know it won't be expensive right Um, and speaking of that no word on availability yet no pricing but uh it should be out soon from what i saw on social media well it sounds like a neat upgrade i think i know where this piece may have come from and i'm guessing but I got some more news from XL Power. From XL Power, it's now confirmed, we mentioned this in kind of our rumor mill segment a few weeks ago, that they are in fact working on a new version of the Wraith electric helicopter that will soon be available. Uh, the Wraith is XL Power's model for F3C use or precision aerobatics, or normally yeah. you could fly 3D with it. It's, it's nice. tailor-made for F3C. They don't have a lot of details on the Wraith yet, but uh, we have seen some photos and a little bit of Facebook banter with Kaboon who is uh, the chief designer at XL Power. But it appears to use a lot of the same componentry from the Spectre V2 and Nick Maxwell edition. So it looks like it's got the upgraded head and tail, uh, definitely new frames over the previous version of the Wraith and the look of the photos. And the photos I saw online also showed it in a full fuselage, total F3C style. And I happened to catch RAW online and threw a few question at him and what he was saying is that the fuselage is going to be offered by other people. So XL Power is not going to manufacture or sell the fuselage. Right. Um, it's like the frame,
0: the head, and all the, the yeah. heli, and then you buy the fuse somewhere else. Nice. Yeah.
1: And the photo showed it with this three-part fuselage that had a removable nose cone for really easy battery swap-outs, which was cool. So, you know, imagine this giant full fuse bird. You literally are just popping this little nose cone off, the battery slides out forwards, and Bob's your uncle. Um, hey, nice. So, Definitely well thought out, you know, to help the F3C guys out. It definitely looks heavily based on the Spectre V2. It may share some parts. I'm going to say it definitely shares some parts. So I'm really curious. Oh, and to go back to what we were talking about, about the new uh, upper bearing block motor mount combo, I bet it's probably in this helicopter because that seems like also a very F3C thing, like a very precise gear yeah. mesh and less vibration maybe from it, you know? Yeah, Totally. So I'm also curious to know which heli Nick Maxwell is going to fly this year for F3C. So I don't know if he'd fly the Wraith. I know in the past he's been quoted saying that he loves the Spectre V2. Certainly now that he has the Nick Maxwell edition, and yeah. that's what he flew at, F- at F3C. You know, last year at the Nats. Uh-huh. So I'm curious now that the Wraith has all the components from the V2, whether he'll fly the Wraith or whether he'll stick with the uh, V2. Yeah, that'll
0: be interesting. I feel like I recall that Wraith was pretty badass when they were making it before.
1: It looks cool, especially in a full fuse. uh, You know, I I think that I want to build a scale heli at some point in my life. But then I'm like, maybe I'd be just as happy with a full fuselage bird, like buy an F3C bird with a full fuse and just fly it around making scale helicopter noises. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. Like, that's fun sometimes
0: those dude the those birds are really cool looking i gotta admit they are cool looking and it's funny um when i was younger i kind of looked at the f3c thing kind of the same way i looked at old guys that flew planks i don't know why but i just did but i'd see those those helis and i'd be like that's really neat looking but i would get made fun of if i went to that park and maybe it's just my perspective but i just seem to be a lot more interested in that kind of thing now you know and and obviously I understand that F3C set up helicopters with fuselages aren't designed to do the same thing that my, my 580 sport is designed to do. That's not the purpose of the tool as Scott would put it, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, dude, I'm right there with you, Nick. I'm kind of in that boat where I want to do one or the, actually shit, I want to do both. I'd like to have a, a sweet scale bird and a F3C bird, but tell you what, it seems like F3C is a lot more expensive than like say fun scale. I'd probably do like fun scale first.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Rob, by the way, says that their new Wraith uh, V2 will be available soon. So stay tuned for more details uh, if you're into F3C or Precision Aerobatics or you just like the looks of it. Uh, It does use the same canopy, that sort of red and white canopy currently right now. But who knows? Nice. Um, Certainly another nice offering from XL Power. And also this week, we've got some updates about the Goose Guy RS4. So I'm sure if you've been watching the news at all, In regards to China, you've seen that China basically lessened the restrictions in their COVID policies because they were super strict for a long time. And that has unsurprisingly caused a really big uptick in cases. And those COVID cases have impacted the factory at Goose Guy and set the delivery of the RS4 kitbacks just a little bit. So there was a wave of COVID that went through the factory. Uh, So certainly our best wishes to everyone there for speedy recoveries. But they are uh, back in action. Uh, the expectation is that the kits are going to arrive at distributors and ship to customers uh, in late January. So really, you know, we had talked it early to mid-January, and now it's just going to be late January. So not a huge setback, but just a little bit one there.
0: Yeah, there you go. Call it the uh, RS4 COVID quarantine. It's just got to yeah. wait a minute.
1: I mean, I'm certainly not happy of why it's late, but I'm really excited that I got the logo off my bench before it got here. Because I don't know what I don't know what would happen if I had a broken heli and a new kit here. I would just I don't know, you you would be paralyzed by indecision.
0: <laughs> I know you'd be like, oh, "Uh, uh, clean up, build a new one, clean up, build new one." I don't, I one, don't uh, know what to do. And then I'd be like with- trying to do both at the same time. You got two cameras on you. You're like, "Camera A, camera B, uh unscrew <laughs> this one. Oh, this one was already clean. Oh fuck, fuck this logo part in the wrong spot."
1: Oh. Meanwhile, I got you knuckleheads making fun of me every day about it. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen. All right. In other news, switching gears over to SAB, uh, they announced this uh, the week that the orange creamsicle canopies and booms in the new versions of the kits of the raw 580 and the raw 700. I'm speaking really slow, so I don't forget and the 580 nitro are now going to be available as individual parts. So if you've been eyeing that scheme, which looks super visible. Uh, Yeah, you will be able to order just the canopy and boom separately very soon. I don't have a date yet as to when they'll be here in the US, but they are now showing in the new parts on goblinhelicopter.com SAP's website. Uh, They're showing not in stock yet, but I'm sure it's going to be any day now. So look for those very soon. Um, And also uh, on the same subject, the raw Nitro 700 is now going to be offered in the orange and white
0: nice. See, they got to do some more
1: eastery pastel colors. I bet they'd sell like hotcakes. Who knows? They may just release a new color every month. Uh, you know, Maybe. and I know we like to make fun of SAB for that, for, you know, are they going to make a new heli or just release a new canopy? And while that's a little bit legit, I will say this scheme just pops so well. I've only seen one of them in the wild, but it, it looks great. I think I may pick one yeah. up for my raw 580.
0: Dude, uh. I got to say, I like it. I remember before I came back in the hobby, back in the day, You'd buy a particular brand heli from the manufacturer, and the manufacturer would offer uh, maybe two canopy schemes. If you wanted anything custom, you had to go to Canamod or another manufacturer to get an aftermarket canopy. But now you got companies like Sab, where you can get a particular bird and get all kinds of different libraries for them—you know, different colors and stuff like that—and various canopies. So. Yeah, we jest and stuff like that. But I personally, I dig it. And I'd venture to say lots of people do. So
1: yeah, I do, too. And I will say, you know, you can make fun of me for it. But sometimes just the right canopy makes me want to fly more. Like if I'm excited about the way a helicopter looks, which I know is stupid, excites me to fly. it. It's
0: not stupid, man.
1: It's totally legit. That's how I feel, too. Oh, well, right on. All right. I have some exciting news. The V-Control... Evo actually exists. I've seen a picture of one in like a regular person's hands. So yeah, the V control Evos are shipping in Europe. Uh, I've only seen a couple of photos of them, but uh, some regular old pilots had a V control Evo. They were taking photos with the little boot up screen with the Evo logo on there. So that's exciting. We're actually seeing them move. So they do exist. It's not phantomware. Uh, The pre-order didn't just take all our money to a foreign land. (laughs) (laughs) and and on that note if you're in the US uh, so again European units are shipping you cannot order one from Europe and have it shipped to the US that would not be FCC approved and on that note Brian Barrow of Mikado USA was seen on Facebook uh, this week saying that for those of us in the US that pre-ordered AV control Evo or a Neo Evo that we should quote expect the end of Q1 I don't expect to see FCC approval and inventory allotment until late March of 2023 end quote so it's hmm. unlikely if you're in the u.s you're going to get either of those things in your hands till sometime in you know late march early april mid april somewhere in that neighborhood you know there's no firm date yet so right uh but that's what we're looking at so if you pre-ordered you know early in the year like i did chill out stop thinking about it look forward to it and hope to have it in your hands by easter and
0: if you haven't ordered it yet then that's right around when taxes will come back for a lot of people.
1: So there you go. the early birds, right? Yeah. And pre-orders are still open. So there doesn't appear to be like a really narrow amount of inventory, which I think some of us were a little worried about, but sounds like they got, you know, similar amounts of them as as they used to have at the other touch. So yeah. hopefully once they start shipping, uh, you know, inventory is not going to be an issue. Right. I
0: bet there's probably folks out there that are on the fencers that know, if they know this info, they'll probably wait, <laughs> but you know, you got your, Diehard enthusiasts that are willing to just put their now money in and wait till March, you know. Yeah. But or you I'm got not the one people like
1: me who had money from selling some stuff, and they were like, "If I don't yep. put this into this right now, I'm going <laughs> to spend it on other stuff, <laughs> and then I'm going to have no money for it when I want it." Yep, you got to treat it like an investment, right? For yeah. sure. Like we're, they're just going to put this money away here, uh, so it, I don't spend it on stupid.
0: Dude, I'm the same way. If
1: it sits there too long, I don't know; it yep. won't stay. Yep. Uh, Or if you got kids like we do, uh, they find ways to spend it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. yep. Either intentionally or otherwise. (laughs) All right. We've got, back to the SAB camp here, Uh, some new information and pricing for that SAB limited re-release of those three kits. That's the original Goblin 700, Black Nitro, and Black Thunder Helicopters. The SAB is starting to release some info here. Um, so last week, they said they're going to be releasing a limited run of 50 of each helicopter, plus providing spare part support. And now we've learned a little bit more about these. So let's just kind of go through them one by one. First up, the original Goblin 700 uh, kit cost is going to be $1,100 or euros. Since they're almost one-to-one, the prices are identical for both Europe and the U.S. So these prices, again, are dollars and euros. Uh, so 1100 bucks, it gets you a helicopter identical to the original release with a couple of exceptions. Uh, they're now going to supply a CNC main gear versus the original molded one, presumably much more durable, and a modern dampener design for better rigidity within the DFC head.
0: Nice. No explodo.
1: Yeah. So a couple of you know minor tweaks just to sort of modernize it a little bit. Uh, no word which blades are coming with those, whether it's a more updated SAB blade or the original. Couldn't figure that out yet. Uh, We'll talk about that a little more with the next. kit. So,
0: so remind me on that one then for that OG 700, that, uh, that kit there, that, so mm-hmm. that's going to be the, the frame and blades or, and then yes. just without electronics, right? Just yep. the frame and the blades and all
1: that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So main and tail blades plus the kit. Cool. All right.
0: The so blades are included.
1: Uh, all right. For all three of these, but no electronics. Okay. Uh, second up, the black nitro. Uh, so kit cost for that will also be $1,100 or euros. This will include a special edition set of red S 700 blades. Presumably, I think this is, you know, the current SAB blade is the S 700, which I really like. I've been really happy with them. And that's the newer version of the blade that came out, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. But I think it's just going to have one of the sort of white swooshes on the blades. It's going to be red instead of white, which which is a throwback to the way the original black nitro blades looked. I think that's what they mean by red S 700, but I'm not entirely sure. And I'm pretty sure all the marketing photos are not of the re-release heli. They're of the original release. Photos don't look different. So hard hmm. to know exactly what it's going to look like with the blades on it so far. Some of the other differences on the black nitro from the original is a new boom. Uh, that's 80 grams lighter than the original. So that's good. Maybe that'll see a, G a little easier, uh, and a new canopy quick release mechanism, So just updated to the current SAP
0: method. Nice.
1: All the right. little red blades thing is kind of cool. I mean Yeah, that's a nice little throwback. Assuming I got that right. Some of this I'm just guessing. I did reach out to SAB directly to their sales department with a bunch of questions and didn't hear back. So speaking of which, yeah. if anybody has an in at SAB, I'd love to, as I sort of dig into the news deeper, try and build some relationships with insiders at each of the major manufacturers. Somebody I can email and say, Hey, I see you got this coming out. I'd love to figure out what you really mean by this, you know, feature or whatnot. So if anyone has an in at SAB, I've been kind of knocking on the door just a little bit recently starting to, so love to get a a contact. Coming back to where we are, the last kit is the Black Thunder Electric. Uh, Kit price for this one is a little bit cheaper than the others. It's $1,000 or Euros. And similar new features here, the S700 Red Blades, same as the Black Nitro we talked about, Uh, same canopy quick release, same lighter boom as the Black Nitro. Of note is that it's the same weird of flipper skid kind of skid not really i don't know what you call those things design as before uh, presumably you could use the skids from the black nitro which i was gonna ask scott about but uh he's not here today so maybe i'll get clarification on that next week but it does come with the flippers oh yeah like little feet that you c- couldn't slide around on those really yeah i would be worried about like backwards sliding autos or anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take those little yeah. flippers Uh, And then plant the tail rotor in the grass. So on those SAB helis, I really love, you know, marketing claims. Things crack me up a little bit. So I do like to share the ones that make me laugh. Uh, So this came from SAB's marketing materials about these re-releases. They go on to say, quote, owning and flying with one of these models was synonymous with exclusivity. With these models, you share a piece of radio control helicopter history.
2: <laughs> okay i'm gonna I buy the it. history
1: bit right because they're definitely a, a very important part of our helicopter hobby uh historically had made a huge impact yeah. but exclusivity i mean maybe i'll be king of the heli nerds for a day but let's not go that far <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's kind of uh, funny that's good yeah that one cracked me up <laughs> got my
1: american express black and my black thunder i know like maybe if one of these F3C guys shows up with like a pro drone or a quest heli in the full fuse with the Contronic and the CG wire, the 32MZ, like maybe they're a little exclusive in our hobby because they spent more than the rest of us. Yeah, <laughs> they spent more
0: than some people's
1: cars. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I wonder if the F3C guys have memes like that, like when your heli costs more than your car. Yeah, probably, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask Brian that one. <laughs> That's funny. All right. I'm not going to lie. Devin slipped me a little cash to make this the news of the week. Um, So thanks, Devin, for that. Um, Grease in the wheels. (laughs) But our news of the week is that the Oxy Flash kits have been sent out to team pilots. So we've seen some photos and a video of uh, Rasmus Jacobson and some asshat named Devin McClellan uh, getting their kits put together. Uh, so word on the street is that uh, kits will be available to the public in the near future. No date yet, but this is yeah. a huge step, right? So there's a production kit in a box, shipping to team pilots with you know all the components in their bags. I don't know if they got a manual yet. I haven't had a chance to connect with Devin. Um, I don't know, but, but I hear uh, there's
0: a I hear there's going to be a build video coming out here soon with the McToons. So stay tuned for that
1: shit. There they did do an unboxing video. Um, so Bill yeah. Ann's YouTube channel. Had an unboxing to know with father and son. Uh speaking of which, we're gonna start a GoFundMe for a haircut for Devin. Um <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but Transplant to know, his dad's head. I'm I'm a little scared if he builds this helicopter with that much hair in his eyes. So uh <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to donate to that like GoFundMe, we'll put the link in the show notes for Devin's haircut. No, but seriously though, uh it, it was fun to watch um You know, Devin and his dad unpack it on camera, Uh, clearly excited about it. I mean, I'm sure they'd seen all the parts on the prototype kit they had, but uh, it was awesome to see them be excited about it. It's it's great to see Oxy start to come back. Great to see the kits head to team pilots. Um, They're an important part of this hobby as well. So I'm, I'm stoked to see Oxy come back.
0: Yeah, same, dude. It's really cool to watch a brand come back to life. Well, I, I guess you could say it kind of essentially come back to life because it feel, feels like it sort of went on pause for a little bit, like so many things did, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah, that, dude, that kit looks pretty rad. Dude, I don't know, man. It'd it be does nice look cool. for a big bird. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited. And it really is in a way kind of a, a coming back to life. I mean, Luca was yeah very close to potentially going the other way. So we're yeah. I'm, I'm excited he's still with us and uh,
0: it's and releasing Ellie's
1: again. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure, dude. Alright, you got any news, Rob? That's all I got.
0: Um, so okay, so I have this one news that I heard on um Reddit. It was R slash RC Heli mods. Um, and so a guy from the southwest, he uh he I guess is coming out with a new uh canopy. I guess it's a romanopy is what they call it, the ramen canopy. And so what it is, is he vacuum molded, like, if anybody knows what, like, uh, like a prison pizza is, where you take ramen and Doritos, and you mash it down and you make, like, a crust, right? (laughs) If you say so. Okay, so that's the thing. So this guy decided to dovetail that into making a canopy. So uh, what you can do is you can get this canopy in either, like, regular ramen, Doritos flavor, uh, beef jerky, or bacon flavor. Right. And then the idea is that if you crash your heli, um, then you got something to snack on uh, while you're rebuilding the thing. Right. Um, I like
1: this. Yeah. If your yeah, light sure. catch on fire, you can melt cheese.
0: Yeah. Right. You can have just like a, a, a cookout right there at the Funfly. Right. So but I hear I guess the story is uh, they um, had to restrict the testers. They had to keep the testers like, I guess, behind plexiglass for when they were test flying the bacon-flavored one because every time they would try to test it for durability, the testers would just eat it before they crashed it. So they never got it. They wouldn't get a chance to actually see how durable it was. So finally, they had to tell everybody to stay back and don't touch it until they could crash it. But apparently, it wasn't the same for the plain ramen. It's not as good as bacon, I guess. I don't know. But So anyway, uh, Romanipe's various flavors, stay tuned. I'm sure they've got a a locals or... gofundme or something I don't, i'm not sure um but oh, yeah. uh keep your eyes peeled or your mouth peeled
1: i, I heard sab's working on a version of this mm, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the sab raw bacon edition unfortunately he... it gave everybody salmonella <laughs> <laughs> it was too it was too raw oh hashtag wah, dad joke wah, wah. all right that's it for the news this week coming up next is our exciting chat with our guest uh, brian bernshoff yeah stay tuned So with us tonight, we've got a special guest. Brian Birdsong is here, the current reigning F3C sportsman class AMA champion. What's going on, Brian? Welcome to RCHN. Hey, Nick. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. So we did our kind of New Year's resolutions or talking about hobby goals last week and competition came up as a subject. And so it seemed apt that we should start talking about competitions, right? You know, a couple of us are thinking about doing it this year. And obviously, there's a lot of different types to choose from, but we definitely want to pick your brain about F3C, about, you know, the competition scene in the United States and that kind of thing. But but before we kind of dig into that, uh, tell us a little bit about how you first got into the helicopter hobby.
2: Oh, wow. Um, Honestly, it started back in the mid 90s, man. I mean, uh, I, I ran into a hobby shop that was local here in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, the guy was out in front demonstrating how to fly these radio control helicopters. I think he had the Herobo shuttle at the time. And I thought to myself, Holy cow, that's really cool. And, you know, got information about it. Uh, you know, after saving a couple of paychecks, <laughs> I was able to purchase one. And um, he was gracious enough to teach me how to just, you know, do some basic hovering. Um, you know, of course, I'll tell in, but then I, you know, eventually learned a little bit more advanced hovering, nose in, and all that good stuff, sideways hovering. But then, you know, life kind of happened for me and I didn't fly that long back then. Uh, maybe I flew for about six months and then just gave it up and, um, and left it alone and just, you know, never really thought about it. Then you fast forward some 26 years later, you know, the pandemic hits, everyone's working from home. I'm just kind of browsing YouTube one day and saw this uh, Blade 230s like advertisement come up on the screen. I was like, "Oh my god, I remember those RC helicopters back in the day!" And uh, just kind of you know followed the link and got a little bit more information about it, and purchased the Blade 230 man, and just uh, you know kind of rekindled that in the backyard flying around. It was a lot of fun. Nice. And so yeah, I decided got back into the game. You know, some 26 years later. So that's that's pretty much how I started. And that was about. When did that happen? That's February 2020. So a couple of years now. Yeah.
1: Nice. So you're in the Atlanta heli scene as well, which is how we know each other. Mm -hmm. But how did you find the Atlanta heli crew?
2: Yeah. So, you know, with that Blade 230, you know, flying in the backyard alone isn't that fun. Right. So, you know, there's got to be someone else out here who flies helicopters. So I just kind of got on Facebook and searched uh, some of the various groups. Of course, there was a Blade 230 group. In which I bumped into, you know, our good friend Michael Bingham, who uh, I I saw him post uh, one day that he was flying up at Cobb County RC Club. I'm like, Cobb County is like, you know, 10 miles up the street. And so I, you know, private messaged him and and, uh, said, hey, I'm Brian. And He said, yeah, man, come up here. We're here on Sundays flying. So I met him up there that next Sunday. And lo and behold, that's how I met Mike. And then, you know, as the weeks progressed, whatever we just built our big group of, uh, heli pilots up and just kind of stormed, uh, CCRC up there. So that's kind of how I got into the group.
1: Nice. It's funny. Mike Bingham is the guy that found me online and sent nice. me into the Atlanta crew as well. <laughs> so shout out to you, Mike Bingham. Good Very for you. Very cool. Yeah. So progressing down the road, you know, you're getting into the hobby, you're flying. What, how did you get from sort of, you know, learning your basic hover orientations to deciding to aim towards F3C? Like what made you want to get involved?
2: Yeah, you know, I I tell you this, Nick, I mean, you know, watching, you know, all of our guys fly, and you know, we have some pretty cool guys that fly, you know, Sean's flying really great 3D and McHale and all those guys. And you want to do that stuff. So, you know, you try to follow suit, but, you know, you wind up crashing and crashing and crashing. And then you figure that, you know what, this is not really for me. And mm-hmm. I almost got to the point where I was going to give it up until, you know, I just said, well, I'm just going to do the big air stuff. You know, I like flying back and forth doing big loops, rolls, you know, big stall turns. And that was, that was pure excitement for me. And, uh, you know, then it was later mentioned, well, you know, that's kind of like what these F3C guys do, you know, they fly big air precision competitions and things. And I was like, wow, what is that? So, you know, jumping back on YouTube, you know, browsing videos, I did searches for, you know, F3C competitions and big air flying. And, uh, Ran across several videos, of course, and one in particular that stood out to me, Gina Tucker, you know, outstanding yeah. pilot. She lives out of Florida. And um, I saw her um, sportsman routine. Someone recorded it that she performed at the Amps Fun Fly. Uh, I believe the year was 2021 for her. And that was her first competition. She did so well. And I was like, man, that looks so cool. and I want to do that. You know, so she kind of really inspired me. Um, To get started. And I think I saw that video sometime in July of of 22. Right. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, 21. And I went to um, my first fun fly, which was Urcha the next month and met her and talked to her more about precision flying. And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a nice little community of us. And, you know, here's some information. She gave me some links. And she's like, hey, the first competition, you know, to start the new season is going to be in October down in Tampa. I said, I have to practice. I got to learn this thing. So she gave me all the rules and the routines for the sportsman class. Um, You know, there's an F3CN.org website that has all its information up there for the, uh, you know, for everyone. And um, yeah, I mean, I just started practicing, Nick. I mean, I, I was putting in 10 to 20 hours a week at the field practicing this thing, man, from, from the time I left Urcha till October, and which was my first competition. And, um, you know, I went down there and took first place. You know, I learned it. So yeah, I mean, she she got me started, you know, shout out to Gina Tucker. I mean, I love her to death. She's very humble soul and just a really cool pilot to hang out with.
1: Right on, that's awesome. So for those of us that don't know, like what is F3C? Like can you describe a little bit what the style of competition, like what makes it different from say, like the advanced 3d competitions that we're all familiar with
2: there. There's two competition groups of helicopters for AMA. Um, and that's F3C and F3N. So the F3C, um, is more of the, um, you know, precision flying. So it's very skill like hovering, um, with, you know, your helicopter. It's very precise and, um, Detailed oriented um, aerobatics movement as well. I mean, we live in this 2D plane space, right? So not necessarily anything 3D related, but more of a 2D plane space um, where we're back and forth performing these particular maneuvers. F3N, on the other hand, is like precision flying of 3D routines. And so these guys kind of live in a particular box and they're doing some very precise movements uh, on the 3D circuit. So. Those are the two, you know, competition level AMA styles um, for helicopters. You know, you have all the other Fs out there for planes and cars and whatever the case may be. But F3C and F3N are for the helicopter.
0: Cool. That's pretty cool. So that's like hard sport and harder sport. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, for sure. I've seen uh, some of the different competition videos. It seems like the um, F3C stuff you had mentioned a minute ago, it's more of a two-dimensional plane not really as much depth away from you, it sounds like. Is that right?
2: And the F3N,
0: you'll get depth in your maneuvers outwards.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, just kind of picture this where you have to stand, you know, and then we create a nice little small um, area, right? Where we set up a few cones that we have to do kind of our hover maneuvers over, and then we fly out over the field to do our aerobatic maneuvers. So, you know, we probably take up, you know, maybe 300 yards of of back and forth, up and down the field perform my maneuvers. But yeah. a lot of maneuvers are performed like right, you know, in the center of you, and you know, the judges are behind you, making sure that you hit the center line, the midpoints, and you know, keeping the same altitude. Like if you do a roll, they want that roll to stay at the same altitude all the way across. They don't want to see your pitchiness up and down as you come in and out of the roll. Yeah. So those are the type of things that they look for. It's Very precise stuff.
1: From what I understand, like in the United States. Uh, you start out in the sportsman's class. Can you tell us just a little bit more specifics on what the maneuvers are? Like you start with the hover routine, right? And then the aerobatics, like what type of maneuvers do you really need to sort of master before you can get into sportsman? Like how good a pilot do you have to be before
2: you can even start? That's a great question. You know, cause I, I, I thought the same too. And what I found was, you know, man, I was a little bit deficient in some of my hovering skills. Right. I mean, You know, for sportsmen, there's this one maneuver called the triangle. And basically you start with your, you know, on the ground, with the helicopter tail in and you pick your helicopter up. But then you rotate that thing, you know, 90 degrees to point um, right or left, depending on wind conditions or whatever. But you start this, you know, climb up to the cone that's right in front of you very slow. Well, you know, I was fighting this thing just back and forth on the uh, collective back and forth like, wow. This is hard to keep this thing like this. So I would I would highly recommend you to at least have some basics of, you know, understanding how to hover tail end, hover, you know, right nose, left nose and even nose in to get ready for the next class after sportsman. But once you get those basic routines down, especially from hover, you're good to go. Because forward flight is forward flight. It's pretty simple to do, right? But but hovering is really hard, especially when you have to, you know, you can't do the maneuvers really fast and quick. You have to do them super slow. So to hold your bird really steady and move very slow at the same height is really tough to do. So it, it teaches you really good collective management too as well. Yeah, I bet. I bet.
0: It's ironic how like one of the most basic uh, kind of rudimentary maneuvers a person learns how to do and flying you kind of get antsy and you get away from hovering pretty early right once you know how, okay I'm, I'm just not gonna fall out of the air let's yeah. go play but then you do something like what you're doing brian and you realize how deceptively difficult and intricate it is to actually park it right on top of something i tell you what and you know i'm not, whatever you know my bird isn't even set up anywhere near what it would need to be you know for what you're doing you know but even just how it is i'm surprised you know even to this day you know i've been flying for a long time and still just hovering you sit there and you realize there's a lot of input and attention involved with hovering clean a very clean hover for a long
2: time you know yeah wow absolutely but then rob i mean what you'll learn too as you get into it is you know proper radio setup is a must yeah so you know when you do the hover routines you want your bird to be as non-agile as possible you want it very robotic so you're going to like increase the style input of how you fly um you're going to really you know uh reduce your dual rates for your aileron your elevator um, even your tail rotor i mean the 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 turn rate of that thing is going to be super slow no matter how you know far i pull the stick left or right it's uh you know rolling at the same rate yeah, yeah, really um, So, yeah, yeah. And then when you get to the aerobatic mode, it's more of a 3D setup almost, right? So you want a you know, high rate of roll so you can do your roll properly and, and all of that good stuff. But that hover routine, the radio setup, I mean, you you want a very non-agile bird.
0: You know, that's actually, uh, um, that brings up a good point. That was one of the questions I was going to ask a little bit later, but it sounds like now's a great time to ask you about it. Uh, speaking about um, like rates and um, doing the switches and stuff, I know. In a past episode, we were just kind of joking around about the F three C guys and F three N guys having like fifty different s- switches <laughs> set up for different scenarios and this and that. So I got to ask you, Brian, how many, how many, how many rate setups do you have? Do you have a like <laughs> six or eight different setups? You got like, well, how how do you how do you, uh, how did you do that calculus uh, on that?
2: <laughs> uh, well, I, I tell you what. So so I moved up to expert class now and and holy cow, it is w- what a difference. But I'll, I'll stay with sportsman since it's kind of beginner yeah. and even as sportsman. I mean, you you have two flight modes, right? You just have this hover flight mode and you have aerobatic flight mode, but okay. you have these various conditions within. Right. So, for instance, with the with the hover, like I said, you know, you want a very uh, non agile, very robotic. So you'll kind of have this one rate set for your hover. Um, right. But then when you switch over to aerobatic mode, um, like the first routine, I believe in sportsman is a roll. So I had another click for roll to remove a lot of elevator movement and really decrease my pitch so that when I hit that roll, it looked like it was just on the screen, though so it yeah. never pitched up and down. But then as I came out of that maneuver and turn around to perform the next maneuver, like my, my big loop, I switched the switch back to my you know, first kind of idle up one mode where it gave me, you know, good elevator so I can perform the maneuver. So you're right. You're absolutely right. Depending on the maneuver that these guys do, especially the, the, the top dogs, the FAI F3C guys, yeah. they may have five different brakes set up, five different switches that they click just yeah. for one particular maneuver that they have to do. Dude,
0: that's pretty interesting, Brian, because, uh, up until I started, uh, becoming interested in uh, F3C kind of a deal, right? Um, and I'm going to admit when I was younger, I kind of treated F3C like I kind of, I was like, man, that's lame. You got to (laughs) smack it down. Come on, crack pyro flip. I want to see that stuff. You know what I mean? And I just didn't give it any respect, but as I'm a little older and like you said a little earlier about, uh, the monetary aspect about 3d and learning and how many times you crash and build and crash and build, um, doing, doing this kind of a, um, uh, flavor of the hobby, I could see how it, one, would be less expensive, but two, the challenge is there. And three, i I'm the most important, I guess, in context of what we're talking about here is I'm learning more about uh, the, you know, you see it all the time. You see the Kung Fu people do in the air and how uh, the skills that they have there. But now, mm-hmm. you know, I'm starting to learn that part of some of the stuff that you see out there has to do with using the tools available in the radio and up until doing things like this more precise kind of stuff, you never really hear stories about people actually like flexing their radio as well as the helicopter. Right. And I think that's a super cool thing, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, aspect of, of uh, of this part of the hobby that I'm really interested in.
1: The, it's it's the, cool the too. Way. I agree, Rob. Like, I love the yeah. fact that Brian's figured out that to get a perfectly axial role You know, while rolling on his right stick, he sometimes pulls a little more elevator in when he shouldn't. So rather than like fighting his thumb's tendency to maybe accidentally input a little elevator, he literally just mixes it out. Yeah. Right. And you can make it really personal with these setups and switches and go as Mm -hmm. crazy as you want. Um but Brian, for, for folks thinking about getting into it with all these mixes. Can they just go with two basic modes? Can they really just do a hover and an aerobatic mode? And then yes. as they get better, start digging into these? Or does everybody really need to go into all this?
2: No, that's exactly how I started, Nick. Um, you know, just the two modes, just the regular rates, um, didn't really mix elevator and aileron out or in or anything like that. It was just, you know, when I, when I met this community of, of, of gentlemen that, you know, kind of helped me get set up, that was it. They said, hey, just keep it basic to start. You know, keep it simple. You know, as possible, non-agile hover mode, just 3D like aerobatic mode, and that's it. And play with it. And then what you'll learn, Brian, is over time, man. You know, I'm I'm having to fight a lot when I'm, you know, doing the stall turn. I I feel pitching is coming. So, you know, maybe I can add a little expo to my pitch, my collective, and I don't feel it when I go up. Now I just climb straight up. You don't see the you know head bouncing back and forth because I'm in the middle stick fighting it. And that's how I learned to start adjusting this thing as I, as I got better and better with it. So, you know, by the end of my my sportsman season, yeah, I had my radio tuned to all these different, you know, maneuvers and, you know, rates like this and that. But it, I progressively got there um, from starting with the very basic setup till I got to that part at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, it seems like this is a good time too to talk about sort of required equipment for F3C. So other than, you know, a couple of cones to practice with, like what kind of helis are well suited to F three C? Like, do I need to go out and buy a big full fuselage, you know, <laughs> full fuselage seven hundred? Um, can I yeah. can I use a five fifty or smaller? Like like what works and what doesn't?
2: My like, super do light and be- Squirrely Gaway X5, is that gonna cut them off <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say this. I mean, I wouldn't start with anything less than six hundred size. Um, you, you you really want a decent sized bird that's heavy enough to give you A nice, stable hover. Um, You're going to learn a lot about that as well. Uh, You know, and it doesn't need to be a a fuselage bird. You can, you know, the XL-powered Spectre V2 700 is is an excellent bird to start with. It's affordable. Um, The parts are plenty. Um, You just need a good set of uh, sport-like or F3C main rotor blades, right? Those blades... Um, are important because the center of gravity on those types of blades are more towards the end, the kind of end loaded to the blade and more forward on the cord, so it gives you a nice, stable hover in flight. Even when you're in forward flight. It gives you can you can actually feel it, as opposed to the 3D blade where, you know, the center of gravity is a little bit more in because you want to be agile enough to do all those maneuvers that they do. So a good set of blades. Um, I would even say the Azure um, 700 are really good to do F3C practice with. Um, But, you know, when you get into it, like for me now, I order everything from Japan, right? RC Japan is where I get the FunTech type blades. Uh, But yeah, I mean, just a a simple 700 size bird, like the, like I said, the Spectre V2 would be a good beginner bird to start with. And even for electronics, I mean, don't worry about your electronics right now, neither. As long as you can get the same characteristics out of, you know what we're asking you to make your bird make it non-agile so how does the brain two or the icon two FBL unit make your bird non-agile how can you get a flying uh, style really high so it's very robotic you know doesn't matter the brand doesn't matter the transmitter doesn't matter the you know the radio system um you can fly f3c pretty much with anything now some have more advantages than others but they can all still provide you with those same type of characteristics.
1: Speaking of characteristics, uh, about what head speeds do you run on a 700 size for hover and for aerobatics?
2: Hover, um, and, and, and it all really depends on the wind conditions as well. But, you know, anywhere between 1300 and as high as 1450 is where I would sit with my hover mode. Um, and then when I switch to aerobatics, i sitting between 1850 and 1950. And you yeah, remember too, I mean, <laughs> our routines, like the sportsman routine total time is about seven and a half minutes. So, you know, you, you perform your hover routine probably most of that time, to be honest with you, because it's such a slow routine. You you're probably three minutes doing hover, then you know, you switch over to aerobatics, and aerobatics goes really quick. And yeah, hell, bumping up to the expert level is about eight minutes long. So you want to make sure you can stretch your battery out too, so those rates are really, really important, uh, or the head speed, rather, is really, really important. Interesting. Do you land between hover and aerobatics? You do. Um, you know, each each hover uh, maneuver starts from the ground and ends on the ground, and then when you start the aerobatic, you start it from that ground position that you finished. You get two hover routines and then various number of aerobatics. So after that second hover routine. You're on the ground, you know. You pick it up, you switch aerobatics, and you take off. Yeah, that's pretty sweet.
0: So, okay, so you won Nats, or you went to Nats um, Mm -hmm. this past year. You won the Sportsman class and all of that. It it sounds like you haven't really, really competed very long. How many, how many have you done? I mean, what what was it like to compete compete at that level at Nats?
2: Honestly, it was nerve wracking. I mean, yeah. I had a good year, though. I mean, I like I said, I started my first competition was just after Urcha twenty one, um, that October. Then there's a, a few more, like three more, before you get to Nats. Okay. So um, I had plenty of practice, plenty of you know competition practice. Understood, you know the rules, and you know, like I said, has had various. Uh, you know, critiques from, from some of the professional guys and I was ready. So I was, I was ready for Nats. I was a a bit nervous, but, uh, just went in there and just stuck to my game plan, man. And, uh, you know, came out on top. So it was, it was fun. A lot of fun.
0: Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. So you were talking about uh, up leading up to Nats. There were a few other contests that you, you performed in almost like, Mm -hmm. sounds to me almost like a bracket on the way up then. So, I mean, what, I mean, besides that, where you went to Nats, are there, are, are there other competitions? Like what other F3C style like contest you know about in the U S are there other reg, regular yeah, ones Yeah, So,
2: happen? you know, Frank, um, down at amps in Miami has yeah. F3C competition. So there's one coming up in March that I'll participate in. Um, yeah. and there's uh Tim DePerry. He has a field up in Murfreesbury, um, like Nashville, Tennessee. That is, uh, around the June timeframe. Then of course there's, uh gnats and urcha and then um the triple creek um fun fly down in tampa in october so we have four of them right now there used to be a fifth one i think they just uh it's been postponed i guess uh for a while but hopefully there'll be five uh throughout the season that uh, we all get to compete in so
1: so that all sounds like East Coast-ish to me. Is there anything in the middle to West Coast
2: area? No, I haven't heard. Um, and, you know, being part of this group, um, it, it's, it's you know, as if we're all down here in the Southeast. Um, again, you have folks like, uh, you know, Cliff Hyatt, Gordon Mead. You know, these guys are here in, in uh, you know, Florida, um, some newcomers, Marshall Maddox. Florida knob everybody's in Florida pretty much Tim's up in Tennessee myself here in Georgia but yeah everyone's here you know Nick Maxwell he's here in in Alabama so yeah we're all southeast
1: yeah east East side scene huh east side yep yeah you know, I got I got a theory about this in that it's funny you know Rob said it earlier that you know he used to kind of make fun of F3C or, or at least look at it differently than like you know smacking a heli around but I don't only really, really appreciate it and how difficult it is until you see somebody practicing. So yeah. so watching Brian practice, you know, and I knew what F3C was and was intrigued, but to watch the amount of time and effort he puts into his hover routines and to watch the level of precision you can reach and then when you're by yourself, you're like, "I'm going to try and knock out a really axial roll." You're like, "Oh my god, these are hot garbage." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I know how good this can look cuz I've now seen this thread going across the sky as it rolls and uh it's cool so maybe you know there's a pocket in the southeast because that's where people are doing it and people are seeing it and i think right. seeing it really inspires you to want to try it absolutely yeah totally
2: i get a lot of questions from the community too. folks see my videos um how do i get started you know and it's you know pretty much same thing i'm telling you guys you know it's just grab a bird you know just go out there i, I tell them how to get their hover mode set up in the radio and aerobatics and give them the links to the page and you know ping me and hey maybe i'll come to your field or you come to my field just trying yeah. to grow this community yep trying to grow it yeah
0: it almost seems like um looking back having dabbled in all the various types of ways to fly helis you know including flying it around and pretending it's a scale helicopter and all the things right mm-hmm. it seems like if you kind of take a step back and look at it, it seems like F3C should technically be kind of a natural progression between, uh, or at least maybe amateur F3C, those types of maneuvers right. to try to do those things before you start trying to do pyro flips on the deck and things like that. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I now that I'm more aware of it, um, I think it'd be kind of cool to see the community, that community grow, I mean, like, I know on Facebook, for instance, we've got, like, one of the more popular ones is the RC Heli Hangout, and there's other Mm -hmm. various. We see posts and stuff come up, and maybe it's just, you know, my AI computer, You know, everybody's got their FBI guy, they say, right? And everybody's got their own AI algorithm out on the internet and on various places. And so maybe my Facebook AI just doesn't realize that I'm interested in uh, F3C yet, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So I don't see a ton of that content. So do you guys have, like, do you guys ever talk about that? Like, hey, how can we get more people to like this? Um, what kind of stuff happens there?
2: Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great question too, Rob, because, you know, there are a few um, F3C groups. And if you go to them, it's like, hey, you know, 80 members. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's not that many folks, but it's a great community. And, um, you know, one of the things we try to do is make sure we share some of the things we do with some of the broader groups like the Heli Hangout. So folks can get a taste of it. You know, anytime I went to a competition, you know, and had some video film, um, I would post it in there. So people, hey, check this out, you know, and, and what it's all about. And, and yeah. the feedback is really great, too. I mean, you know, you get a lot of response to uh, the post. And again, more people are, you know, messaging me in the background Then, hey, man, it's really cool how you started and things. So um, there there are a few folks right now that fly their you know, private fields. Um, that I communicate with on a you know very periodic basis. So, you know, I, I you know tell them all the time, I hope to see you at this competition because it's gonna be in your area. And uh, you know, then it's oh, I had to work. You know, I'm like, <laughs> forget all those excuses, man. I wanna see you out here. So we gotta get them out there. We really do. We just gotta make it more present, more known, continue to just push, you know, post on the uh the broader groups there so folks can see that, you know, this thing is existing and it's and it's gonna grow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You bet. yeah yeah so show off the heli porn I always like it when I see those kinds of cross pollinations and things like that so yeah, yeah keep yeah. doing that stuff for sure
1: yeah I agree man I love seeing the different hobbies within a hobby amongst the helicopter group like yeah, the different yeah. disciplines and scale and F3N and F3C I don't
2: know it's cool that, uh, Absolutely. we have a lot of choices because I still give much respect to the 3D flyers I mean these guys are incredible it's incredible to watch you guys fly 3D I just can't do it <laughs> But I will tell you, though, I mean, (laughs) flying F3C, though, has really taught me, um, you know, more on my orientation. So it's kind of second nature to me now. I don't really have to think about, oh, this is the direction it's in. You know, I should turn the stick this way to correct it. It it just happens naturally now for me. So I can see, Rob, from that comment you made, you know, if you started from this precision flying, at least from a sportsman class, you know, it's definitely going to teach you more discipline on your your orientation. So when you do start some of the smack stuff, it's just going to be second nature to you. You may not have to really think about it that much. So, absolutely.
0: Yeah, totally, man. You know, prepping, uh, preparing for uh, uh, doing this interview, I've been uh, trying to make myself only sim, like F3C style maneuvering and not the, uh, because I'll admit, I'm sure lots of people do this. You kind of get into this, degenerative pattern where you just start doing way, way more uh, complicated things with your your computer helicopter than you would ever do with your helicopter in real life. You know what (laughs) I'm saying? So I tried my best. It was tough, but I tried my best to put that down and just fly, fly the helicopter and try and do those deliberate maneuvers and stuff. And it was tough, but I tell you what, um, I learned even just in a, um, maybe an hour's worth of SIM time, which would be, you know, the equivalent of maybe 20 packs or something. Like that, you know, 15 mm-hmm. packs or something like that. You know, I very quickly learned that amongst all that rampant smacking, I was wasting so many degrees of collective pitch, plus and minus, just burning off power yeah. and all kinds of stuff and no collective management. And so when I started paying attention to that stuff and then would maybe just kind of tip my toe back into doing a little 3D in the sim just to see, hey, let's just throw a couple of things in there, but with also paying attention to the other things, all those mm-hmm. other things just tightened way back up. Yep. And then as soon as I let my hair down and just go oh Oh, that way I did that pure flip really nice. Let's do it again. Smack 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 <laughs> smack and then I lose my you know because I don't have the discipline yet. But it's it's really fun. So for any of the listeners that are out there that like to take their heli and amateurly smack it around just relax for a minute and try a couple of maneuvers and see what you think. I'm sure a lot of guys out there probably still feel this kind of the way I used to feel where you you kind of don't want to admit that that's how you fly and you want to because, okay, when I came up with the term hard sport, that was my way of saying shitty 3D. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, anyway, yeah, I don't know, man. It's fun. Yeah,
1: awesome. <laughs> so, Brian, I think one of the things that can keep people away from competitions is just they feel intimidated, right? They get really nervous, yeah, yeah. especially for their first time. Right. So, like, what what really can they typically expect? Like, how many competitors are there in sportsman class at a typical competition? And, and what are the, like... The good pilots like are they helpful Do they ignore you are they welcoming like what's the community like
2: oh wow um, the community is excellent I mean you have a, a lot of guys here a group of guys that have been doing this for 20 plus years I mean yeah, you know, way back in the 80s man these guys have been doing this and uh, so they understand you know how it feels to start this thing and they've helped so many people get set up started Tons of tips and, you know, good constructive feedback um, to help everyone progress. So when I first started Sportsman, again, my first competition, man, I was so nervous. You know, just meeting the guys was was really intimidating, honestly. And and, uh, but then, you know, you kind of warm up to them and then they just joke with you and have a good time. Um, And again, tons of tips and tricks and. You know, make sure you have your radio set up like this. And, you know, ag- again, that's how I really learned about you know trimming my bird down to be this really non-agile bird, these guys. But then getting out there, it's just, they're just cheering you on. You know, you get through your routine and once you land, each judge stood up and they'll tell you something about your routine and how you were corrected. And so they give you things to go and work on. Um, for, for such a small You know, discipline, especially here in, in the United States, we have such a big hearted community of folks that, that truly are there to help you out and get started. So yeah, they helped you shake those jitters out, get the butterflies out. Um, and once you get through the first routine, it's like you're bound, you know, you're there now. You're part of the group. They pulled you in, accept you. Um, you know, we have a nice big message group that we all sit and chit chat, you know, every week we're, we're, we're talking about something. So it's a great community.
1: It really is. That's awesome, man. That really makes a big difference. Yeah. And then
0: you get feedback from the judges like that. That's like your own personal um, spotter slash um, yes. physical therapist or trainer, right? They'll Absolutely. be like, okay, uh, maybe just a slight bit more left aileron here in this, when you were doing this maneuver. and I think for people, because yes. let's admit it, there's some people out there that have a hard time accepting constructive criticism or feedback and, mm-hmm. you know, you it's a na- I think it's a kind of a natural human reaction to get slightly defensive at that. But if you can put that kind of stuff down and take that two-way energy and just grow off of that, yeah. um, go figure folks that are, you know, balls deep in F3C get really, really good at it. You know what I mean? Because all the brains you're sharing, you know, back and forth so equally.
2: So that's Absolutely. And, you know, and the routines you're doing, I mean, it's very objective. I mean, this is what you have to do. It's It's not... You know, three yeah. world where, you know, this is my preference of how I do it. No, this is what you have to do. So you accept that, you know, and and, and everyone is doing the same thing. It's just you know, who can do it better? You know, and who who's progressed enough to to make that bird look like it's sitting on the shelf and it's not moving at all? Um, yeah. Nick Maxwell. But <laughs> this guy's <is> incredible. <laughs> but but yeah, who can do that? You know, it's all objective, it's the same maneuvers that everyone has to do. So, you know, when you accept that constructive feedback from them. It's, it's, it's great. I accept it. It's like, you know, yeah, you, I can see, you know, when you transition, I could, I can see that pitch and it's on the collective. He said, make sure you, you know, if you want to try and put a little bit more expo in there where you don't feel it because you can't control your finger right there, you know, they give you those types of, of, of uh, feedback. So it's, it's great. It's really great.
0: Yeah. That's cool. So you talk about how, you know, and, and, and I, I also think that's kind of a cool, it's one of the, I think, um, I'm I'm pretty sure airplanes have a similar kind of a competition bracket too, but the idea that it's, it's because in 3d, it seems to be, okay, it's about the tricks because you got to be able to do this complicated trick or be, you know, if you can transition from this trick to this other trick, you're better than the other guy that can't do that. You know what I mean? Or that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But, or you see the way it's all about kind of a particular style, almost like freestyle snowboarding, right? Right. Uh, Or skateboarding or something. There's a, uh, flavor that the pilot puts in there. And I, I know that even in F3C or FAI, you can kind of tell a little bit about who the pilot is by watching the heli fly or the heli fly around, you know, but because everybody's doing the same trick, I could imagine. I mean, we talked on uh, the last episode about a little bit about fear and visual acuity and stuff. And I tell you what, those judges got to have like 2010 vision. Cause if everybody's doing the same trick, I, in my mind, I gotta imagine, um, Brian, that some of these tricks are coming down to like what in my mind would be like a tenth of a degree at the end absolutely. of a roll. Absolutely, absolutely. The difference in points <laughs> here. So, wow, that's 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 pretty wild. So, do you ever has there ever been uh, uh like where a person will um. Contest or results, and be like, no. Nah. Or, or does it ever get weird like that? Or somebody's like, dude, that was way straight. Or why, why are you saying that I wasn't as straight as I was, or any of that? Does that kind of thing happen? When
2: um, I did see it one time, I saw it at Nats. Right. So this last okay. Nats was a big competition because it was going to determine the members of the world's team. Um, okay. So, so these guys were flying like their lives depended on. Right, and yeah, and, and the scores were just that tight. I mean, fractions of points off. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, first, second, third goes. You know, guy gets fourth, it's like you know, few yeah, yeah. minor points behind. It's like, come on, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's it's very competitive, especially when it's when you're trying to make it to the world's team like that. So yeah, yeah you you see that. You absolutely see that.
0: Right. Yeah. Huh. Why, man, it's got to take. You know, I mean, you got to you got to hone your skills in, in anything you do in life. Right. Um, but you know, for something like this, I think that, um, it'd be interesting to kind of know like what kind of like practice routine that you would go through to prepare yourself for like a contest for something. Right. Um, like how often, but before you started competing, right. Mm-hmm. Let's start there before you started to actually compete, go to your first contest about how much time do you, think that you were practicing? I mean, are we talking like, I think everybody, like me, for instance, I, I feel like I probably maybe sim more than others and I'll, I'll do like almost an hour a day of simming, you know, but what about you? Like, what was your practice routine like?
2: Oh man. I, I, again, I was at the field, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week. Um, there were times where, you know, I wasn't busy after lunch from working. I would just take off and go to the field. Um, on a, on a one Monday, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Saturday, I'm at the field, you know, as bright as possible, or early as possible, rather nine o'clock, um, to try and beat a lot of the, you know, the traffic of other pilots there, just get as much practice as I can get in. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't quit till about two o'clock ish, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's just hours and hours and hours of practice. And, you know, and sometimes you get, you know, kind of tired of just doing the same routines over and over again. So i say, well, you know, let me just have a little fun. So, you know, you kick that thing up and you just start this inverted stuff, loops and all kinds of crazy figure eights and, you know, Cuban eights and, and, and things. All I mean, right. that's the thing about us. I mean, again, it's that 2D plane. So it's almost like we're flying our birds like airplanes. Right. So, right. so we do some of those airplane type maneuvers. And that's that's the joy <laughs> that I get out of flying these things like that. So, yeah, that's. Huh.
0: So would you like pick a day, like say, okay, today I got to work on my cubanates because they suck. so you would just spend like the day doing cubanates all yep, day long.
2: Yep. Yeah. I, I have spent days just doing hovering. You know how boring. And <laughs> <God> <laughs> boy, <laughs> like I have to get this hover routine down. So it's yeah. like almost a 13 minute flight on one battery pack because you're flying at 1300 RPM and you're right. just doing the same maneuver over, over, and and over and over and over again. Oh my goodness. So Dude, you gotta be disciplined too. <laughs> yeah. That, so
0: that does tails on to another question that I have for you that has to do with practice and discipline and things like that. I think you know the, the big difference between us regular guys and pros like yourself in F three C um, and uh, pros that do three D and that kind of stuff is that there's this there's this little gap in the, the the amount of willingness to put in that effort or that discipline to do it, right? There, there could be, you know, a hand-eye coordination and those little things too, right? But mm-hmm. I, for me, for instance, you know, whether I'm flying in analog in real life, you know, or I'm on the sim, I'll get going. But after a certain amount of time, and it changes depending on my mood, I think, I just kind of get bored of doing whatever that was that I was doing and I just start to kind of, if any idea of a routine starts to kind of fall apart for me after like three or four minutes. So what kinds of things did you do? Did you, did you kind of have to deal with that kind of a thing at the beginning, you know, with these longer flights or what are some things you do to stay on task? I guess is my question.
2: You, you know, it, it was a lot of, um, tuning, uh, you, you're forever tuning your bird. So you know, I can go and practice a routine over and over again, and and, it, and something wouldn't feel right. Every, every flight's like this for me. Something doesn't feel right. I put the bird down. I'm I'm back into programming, FBL unit, and the transmitter to get it right. So it's, you know, that and just, you know, wrenching in between. Um, it, it, it helps take that away, right? And again, yeah. you know, then when you go back out there and you do get bored of doing something, just go have fun with it for a little bit. You know, put it down. I take a little 550 out there that I just, I call it my beater. And I just yeah. throw it around. I don't care if I crash it. So I just say, well, let me, let me try to do a pure flip and see if I can do that. I go up a thousand feet and I can barely see it, but I'm like, I think I did it. <laughs> it just, <laughs> <comes down>, so-
0: <laughs> right, just kind of shake the practice bitters out of your hands. And-
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right, right on, right on. I suppose that would definitely help because, you know, at some point, uh, if it starts to feel like a chore, and you're yeah. just like, oh, I
2: got to go and do yeah. my Q&A. It's
1: goddamn it. Yeah. And you're not going to have fun with it anymore. Absolutely. Absolute. Yeah. I will yeah. say it was really fun to watch Brian practice. It still is. But especially now that he's working on new expert routines, because we can see him being challenged. But Brian has, I don't know, we, we all go to the field on a Sunday. And most of us are just a pack of chuckleheads in the background. You know, we're flying, <laughs> but we're shooting the bull and being goofballs and making fun of each other and doing the things you do at the field. And Brian just walks right past us and he goes and works on hovers. And then he comes right back with another pack and he goes and works on hovers. Like, you've got amazing focus, Brian. Like, you know, every now and then you let us bait us, bait you into a conversation. But, uh, and it's cool. And the same thing in the Atlanta heli chat, like we'll be making fun of somebody's ugly wiring job. And then Brian chimes in with this really complex question about an idea for a mix (laughs) to help with the maneuver. And you're like, wow, that's brilliant. I don't yeah. know. You you stay on task and focus like nobody I've ever seen. So w- when Brian went to Nats, we knew he was going to win. It was a done deal as far as we were concerned.
2: Thank you. Right? Yeah. yeah, dude.
1: <laughs> um, all right. So moving on to something else here. So Brian, I know that you recently sent your Futaba 32MZ in for service uh, and decided to try out the smaller Futaba 16IZ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, you're going to like this too. So Rob and I are both fans of kind of altering transmitters if we need to, moving switches, you know, <laughs> not accepting the way it comes out of the box is done. Like it's yeah, okay it's to, that video
0: dude, This is neat.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, you made some kind of unique alterations on the sixteen IC that didn't even ever occur to me as a thing. Like it, it was something I wouldn't do. Can you talk a little bit about what you did and why?
2: Yeah. You know, when this radio first came out, um, I, I think Sean and I saw it at Nick Maxwell's house. I think we saw it there, and we both. Oh man, that's a 16 IZ and we both picked it up and we just kind of both looked at each other at the side I was like, "Oh, you know, if it, it's it's paper, you know, it's really light. It doesn't Good. feel heavy enough in your hand. And then the switches, you know, they were so narrow, space between each other and could barely get your finger between. Them. I was like, "Okay, well, that's a great little, yeah." You're like, "That's me, buddy." <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, put that down over yeah. there. Give me my, my 32 but- and <laughs> see You know, but I said, well, you know, since I had to send the 32 in, I was like, well, I'm not going to spend the money for a backup 32. Let me just try this 16. I can work with it for a month or two until I get this thing back. And I got it and uh, and I started, you know, complaining the same complaints again. And I said, you know what? Let me make this radio my radio. You know, uh, first, I'm going to get rid of these switches in the back. I never touch the back switches when I fly my helicopter. There's no use for them at all for me. So, can I get rid of these things? And and uh, and at first, I reached out to. I know you guys may know Ben Miner. He's one of the top dogs in the community too on the electronic setup. And I said, Ben, I want to take these switches out the back. He said, Well, you can do it, but Brian Amatei is going to void your warranty. I said, Well, for the price of this thing, I really don't care, right? Uh-huh. I don't care. So I uh, proceeded to do that and. So I was, you know, not necessarily an easy task. It was fairly difficult because everything is soldered in place. So I had to kind of desolder it and, and remove it. But once I did that, I was like, wow, my fingers feel really free back here. So let me try to, you know, take it to the field and fly with it. See how it feels it felt great. That's holy shit. It feels really good. I like this. This is great. Now try got to get over the, uh, the hole left from where the switch. was. Yeah. So I, I 3D printed these little plugs um, and just kind of, you know, just so they just snap right in there. So, nice. you know, no debris or anything like that can get inside the holes. So I just kind of 3D printed those little plugs up, up there. Um, nice. A little homemade switch delete, man. That's yeah, I mean, I it's a great absolutely. little hack. Absolutely. And but my next trick was, you know, how can I make it feel a little bit better in my hand too? Right. And so I, I went and bought these little led strips that, you know, if you go to any hobby store and, you know, Boy Scouts put together these little pine cars. You know, and they can put these lead strips on it to help the pine car move fast or whatever the case may be. And I bought a, you know, ton of those, uh, about four ounces, six ounces of those and just kind of stuck them inside. I mean, it's plenty of room inside that thing when you open it up. Yeah. And now I'm like, holy cow, it is just a tad bit lighter than my 32 MC. It feels like a nice heavy radio. This one, this this modification cracks
1: me up. Part of me wants to make fun of you for weighing down your radio, <laughs> and part of me is like, it's genius. Like the man knew exactly how to make his radio feel right, and he did it. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like I can't make fun of you.
2: But yeah, I'm telling you, it's and, wild. you know, and and the gimbal too. The 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 the, the tension on the gimbals were really tight. Um, so I just you know kind of loosened them up, to feel the same as they did on my 32. And so I'm like, okay, I got a, I got a radio. And the, but the bonus to the 16iZ is that the software is incredible. Um, you know, with it being newer, uh, of course, Pablo's going to evolve their radio systems and, and especially the software. Right. And I think they did a really good job with the 16iZ. It's fast to get through the menus. Um, and I think what makes it fast, you, you, you take away all the graphics, all this color, right? And you just put some basic gray buttons on that thing and you fly through it so you know i i love that this, this the software is basically the same as a 32 mz um there's some nuances to it because the screen size the tab is smaller so you have to kind of page over to some additional features yeah but find other than up. that i mean i'm like digging it i'm like man this is really cool yeah so that's pretty cool i wanted i
0: am i could imagine that the uh the extra channels and stuff it's not like you're missing those right now nope. right you never even used them before nope. so nope. yeah so yeah that's pretty cool so were you able to um like transfer your model over or anything like that did you did you have to save up your model did you have to rebuild the thing
2: i did you know what i didn't attempt to do it um i asked minor too as well mm-hmm. that ben minor and he wasn't a 100% sure as well i said you know what ben i'm not going to even worry about it I said I want to learn yeah. the same process of setting up a new model in this guy uh, than I did in the 32. Well, the cool thing is though that you know your your um, your CGY um, FBL unit there is going to keep all of its settings. So that nice. was great. I didn't have to reprogram it. Basically, what I did was just set up my flight controls in the 16IZ, bound it to that CGY, and everything was like, oh, this is back to normal. So yeah, um, we're
0: I suppose, like your various banks and stuff would be down in the CGY too. So you're really just programming
2: a switch to control those, right? Well, and, and, and that's one of the main differences between Futaba and like everyone, right? I mean, they have what they call gyro conditions, which is mm-hmm. five conditions of your, your CGY. And then you have flight conditions in your transmitter and they kind of okay. marry together, right? So once yeah. I set up one of my function switches in the radio, to communicate to the gyro, then, um, setting up those flight modes to each one of those gyro conditions is how it all works. But oh, okay. yeah, once I set that up, man, and bound it, it was just like, okay, I remember, you know, this condition, which, you know, they, they abbreviate them C. So C1 through C3 is the three different, you know, gyro conditions I use. And it just, you know, easily bound to the, the, the setup that I already created. So it was, it was really easy. One thing I do like about the 69Z uh, model setup as well is that, um, you know, and again, I think this is one of those things that, you know, of listen to the community is they made the setup a little bit easier now. Okay. It's it's not a great wizard-like setup like some of the other brands, but um, at least now they give you all of your flight modes when you set up a new model versus just that one normal mode they did in the, the 32MZ and you have to go and set up all the others kind of manually. So they give you a nice you know, starting point with a new model, um, in the 16 IZ that you just got to do some little small toning to. And you, you can be up and flying in 20 minutes. That's That'd nice. Take some yeah. work there.
1: Yep. Yeah. So speaking of Futaba, what is it about Futaba and Contronic and some of these other brands that makes them so popular for F3C? Like, it seems like we see a lot of these on the top guys. Is it just yeah. sponsorships? Like, are there things they do that make them better for F3C?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, too. I mean, you know, starting F3C for me, when I first started, I was, I was using a V-bar control um, uh, with the Neo, and uh, it was great. It worked, like I said, as long as you set up the characteristics of your bird to be, you know, that, that normal mode settings and aerobatic settings you're okay. Um, but what you wind up finding is that, okay, well, uh, like to make that roll, like, really string like, like I couldn't separate, um, the, the, uh, aileron and elevator, you know, rates for instance, uh, the agility, uh, being able to set that on each individual control surface within Futaba versus everyone else. So it gives you a more finer, um, point of tune for each control surface within your bird than some of the other brands do. Like I said, not to say they don't work, but you know, if you want more fine control over each individual servo, then you know that's Futaba's going to give you that.
1: Hmm, I did not know that. That's pretty cool. It is super cool. I feel like we have played this game of v bar versus Futaba sometimes, and it's interesting. Exactly, things like that do make the CGY kind of hard to beat for F3C.
2: Yeah, and. You know, and when I when I see those comparison, you know, the the this versus that radio, it, it makes me think like, holy cow! I mean, is is like Utah before 3D guys, or is it really for F three C guys? You know, I mean, it's you can set it up to be 3D, but how much detail do you want to be as a 3D pilot versus just, hey man, I want a quick setup and just go throw this thing around because, you know, am I gonna see, um you know, I don't know, a, a, a mishap on a move doing my smack versus, you know, a mishap of precision flying. You know, that's the question yeah. you have to answer. And if you feel like, man, I want my, my 3D to be very precise, yeah, go grab a full radio and set up each individual control surface until you feel like, yeah, this is perfect. This is exactly how I smack and I can see that, you know, when I'm at this angle, it's perfectly straight or whatever the case may be, but if you're not into that kind of detail, man, you know, B-Bar is a great system. I mean, I love B-Bar when I had it. Yeah. Um,
0: it's kind of built the software for things like the B-Bar, the brain and stuff like that. It just seems like it's it's kind of built so out of the box. The algorithms that are in there mm-hmm. are kind of prepared for frenetic kind of flight, you know. Right. Um, right. The Taba one, you can mold it like sculpt it like clay into that yeah, but okay. it seems to be more built around the idea of granularity right um yeah. which is what you guys kind of need and maybe uh uh plane pilots and jet pilots and stuff like that
2: absolutely and there's a learning curve too i mean it's it, it, it took me a while and I, I i'm not gonna lie i mean i got really frustrated in the beginning when i made the switch uh i got, you know i kept my v-bar so i'm gonna keep this thing on the side while I try to learn this type of thing, because if I don't like it, I, I'm going to get rid of it, and go back to V bar and just deal with it. But I'm going to force myself to try and learn it. And uh, and it took me about three weeks to really get it under my belt. But, you know, the second those two different types of conditions clicked is when, you know, the the fireworks started shooting off and all of this good stuff. Like, oh, my God, I finally figured it out. I understand it now. And so it made it really easy for me to learn how to tune the bird. Once you learn how those conditions work, how they marry up between the transmitter and the unit.
1: Nice. So speaking of brands, anybody you want to shout out sponsor-wise?
2: Yeah, I am a team Contronic USA. So I would like to shout out to my team members and, and my uh, sponsor at Contronic. Um, I love their, their, uh, ESC units, uh, the big red bricks, um, the pyro motors, of course, competition motors. Um, and, uh, of course my, my cool peeps heli direct for supporting me and and taking care of me and uh cheering me on as i go to all these competitions so thank you all
1: actually there's another question i forgot to ask you what's in your fleet right now what are you flying what are you competing with and and what else do you have oh
2: cool yeah i mean i um so last season i primarily flew the sab genesis and um you might have seen pictures of it i kind of you know, painted over the the green scheme and made it an orange scheme bird, great bird. Especially if you want to start with a, a fuselage like bird, the the Sab Genesis is a great machine. It, it really is. Um, but I I figured, you know what? Now that I've moved up the expert and I've seen some of the other, you know, the bigger guys fly um, some of the more fancier birds like the Quest um, and and the Pro drones, I'm like. I want a quest. So, you know, I went ahead and purchased the quest. So it's kind of my primary bird for this new season. Um, and then I have uh, a couple of um, Spectre V2 700s as, as backup and practice birds. You know, I say that because I like to practice those routines that are really tough, you know, for you to think about with those birds. Because if you fall out of the sky, I really don't care. But you don't want a bird like a quest to just fall out of the sky while you're trying to practice something new. Yeah. yeah they're they're very expensive so yeah that's that's kind of my fleet now and then of course i got a little 550 that i throw around to. so I, I have like four turtle birds right now i have a few in the closet some frames in the closet but <laughs> I, I don't worry about those but my flying birds i have four of them nice that's a nice fleet yep
1: so we're going to start to wrap things up here but before we do Any words of inspiration for, you know, other people interested in trying out precision aerobatics, either for competition or just for fun
2: or? Yeah, I mean, I would say, guys, just do it. It is so much fun. It may appear to be boring at times. Oh, it's just a hover. But it is so much fun. It is so difficult to do. And um, and you're going to love it. You're going to fall in love with and, you know, playing with the various radio settings. If you like to tinker like that. Um, it, it's great. I, like I said, I've seen, uh, you know, a, a few of the newer guys coming up in the community now that have fell in love with it and I can't wait to see them start competing. So just get out there and do it. You know, um, the community is big. We're all here to help support you. Um, I spent, again, countless hours on the phone helping folks. I have no problem with that at all. I love doing that. Um, I just want to see people get out and compete. So just do it.
0: So I know. if a guy wants to try it and be like, hey, I want to try some of these moves, you get it. I think you said it earlier, it, the website is at, what, F3CN.org?
1: You can get the schedule there? And stuff? That's correct. Movers That's exactly what it
2: is. Mm-hmm.
1: Word. Okay. I know. And on that same note, Brian, if folks are interested in getting into F3C, can they hit you up? Is there a way that they can get a hold of you?
2: They can uh, look me up on Facebook, uh, Brian Birdsong. Um, there are several of us but I'll be the one that's holding the helicopter in my hand. <laughs> um, you can email me at brian.birdsong at gmail.com if you'd like as well. And that's Birdsong with a Y. Birdsong with the Y. Brian with an I. So B-R-I-A-N dot B-Y-R-D-S-O-N-G. Right on, man.
1: Hey, listen, man, I really appreciate you coming on, chatting with us a little bit about
2: F3C and hopefully inspiring some other folks absolutely thank you guys for having me it was fun i had a blast talking about it so yes let's get more people yeah buddy thanks for coming dude thank you
1: what do you i'm wrapping it up the prime bird song
0: that
1: was that was cool man
0: yeah that was a good interview for sure I learned a lot about F3C from that guy. And, you know, I always kind of knew in the back of my head that it's a whole other class of control, right? But it's really cool to actually talk to a person that does it and to be able to pick their brain. You know, um, I'm um, loosely acquainted um, with Dan Lucente, uh from here in Minnesota, just from Uh, back when I used to fly, we all used to fly together at fun flies and stuff. And I learned he's into F3C and FAI and that kind of stuff. And back in the day he reached out. He's like, yeah, if you're interested in doing that, hit me up. And so between Brian and Dan and all the other guys in the community, uh, you know, I might have to, I might have to try to dabble, you know, at the, in the near term, maybe try to mod my 600 into something that can practice that, you know, I'm not in a place where I can buy a bird just for F3C. Right. But it'd be fun to do it, you know, just to, really kind of hone those hard sport skills into something that's more uh more precise that's pretty fun yeah,
1: i mean pretty i much. don't think you have to really it. Modi- i mean one of the things that i took away from talking with brian is that really any heli 600 and up yeah um, yeah certainly what he recommends uh you can dive into it right you just need to sort of update your programming or your banks or whatever you yeah. call it, your radio to sort of you know set one a little more tailored for uh, hovering and one a little more tailored, head speed appropriate for aerobatics. Right. And then have at it. Any pod and boom, whatever the hell you got. Dude, you know, I tell you what,
0: my uh, TX16S, the way I set all my birds up is I have a switch that I can do for my head speeds where I got three different head speeds, but then I have a different switch that I do for my banks uh, for control, right? Um, and I like that just because it's a little more nerdy than having it all on one switch. but. Mm-hmm. Here's me in my mind, because the TX16S has this six position uh, switch going across the top where you got six, essentially six banks in the switch, right? Um, And I, I got myself in my mind brainstorming, is it even feasible to be able to be flying and then be like, beep, and click over to bank two, three, four, five, six for all these different scenarios? I feel like probably switches is probably more so appropriate so I don't have to glance down or anything like that, but yeah Uh, i'm just my brain is already nerding out and we just got done talking to the guy so it might be fun to set up one dude i might have to copy my model and make one for the 600 that's a f3c style you know i don't know
1: we'll see yeah it was funny when i was trying futaba brian helped me out a lot but there were a lot of times i had to tell him like whoa dude like that's way too complicated like i want my rpm and my banks like all that stuff on the same switch and yeah, and he's very into that. I mean, but he also has the mental capacity to remember what all those things are. I can't. Like, yeah. I need one bank switch. I want a motor safety switch and a hold switch. And like, I'm good. I can keep really? track of that. Anything else, and I start getting lost or dual rate switches or all that stuff. But he's just not that way. He's he's on another level. And I'll, and I'll say it again. Watching him practice is amazing. His dedication, his focus when he's at the field, it's it's inspiring. So I'm really glad he was able to come chat with us. Yeah, it was a fun talk, dude. Glad you were here, Brian. Yeah, man. Me too. With that, that's it for this uh, with week. Hopefully uh, next week, the whole gang will be back with us. Uh, we definitely want to say a thanks, uh, as, as always, for everyone listening, uh, supporting us on Locals, should you decide to do so. And with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. So I guess, how does this work, Rob, if it's you and I? Because you got to go last. So m- maybe you should ask me.
0: Yeah. So, OK, so we're almost done. So, Nick, if we wanted to get in touch with you or Dan or Devin or Scott,
1: (laughs) how would we do that? Oh, boy. So, Dan at rchnv3.com. Scott at rchnv3.com. You can reach Devin at youfuck at (laughs) rchnv3.com. And uh, you can find me at Nick Wisdom at rchnv3.com. And Rob. If uh, someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that?
0: Niccolo Miolo. Okay, so I just watched the movie Nope, and I thought it was pretty rad. So I've decided that if you want to get in touch with me, you got to be pretty daring. Um, You got to get out the Sharpie again um, and a stick. Um, You can use a fat one um, like we talked about earlier if you need to. But here's the score. Here's what you got to do. You got to go... To the desert and you got to try to lure the nope alien out into the open and kind of like in the movie you got to get it to chase you while you're on your horse and then try to get underneath it and then when you're underneath it you got to reach up and you got to try to sharpie your question onto the bottom of that thing without it sucking you up into the middle of its little eyeball that it's got um, and if you're successful in doing that Um, Then you got to get one of those flappy uh, like car wash uh, doll things that they have out there to kind of entice it and park one of those in front of Devin's house. Um, That way that alien will follow follow it to there and hover over Devin's place and he'll look up there and see it um, crap his pants and then frenetically write down what he sees on the bottom because he don't think anybody will believe him. Uh, but I'll be the only one that believes the story, and I'll know that it was from you. Um, but uh, if you're afraid of aliens uh, or riding horses, uh, or you have a Sharpie addiction and you don't want, just don't want to go there, um, you can uh, email me at rob at rchnb3.com, uh, hit me up on Facebook, uh, RC FB, uh Instagram at NextGenRC, or YouTube.com slash nextgenrc.
1: All right, with that, this has been episode 21. We'll see you next week. See you later.
2: Boom,
0: smooth.
2: F3C is cool.